Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. It happens at least once every year. The sound of panic buttons being pressed everywhere as metals prices fall and nervousness about China reaches a crescendo. Everywhere you read at the moment talks about the warning signs that are flashing in metals markets and rampant price forecast downgrades. In fact, my colleague Joe Jackson even told me the other day that the copper price drop was a news story in Pro Pharma. Falling prices do reflect weaker demand, but I think a lot of the headlines get the underlying reasons wrong. I see lots of articles that are quick to point the finger at Chinese macro data as the cause of metals weakness. Certainly, there's been some wider disappointment here, and with the credit impulse now waning, there will be some nervousness in Beijing about that high level of youth unemployment, but for metals themselves, demand is all right. It's okay, it's not great. We have industrial metal demand up year to date, while May is also looking set to be up on a year-on-year basis. China isn't the problem here, even if a depreciating RMB has undeniably played a role in market positioning. In fact, if you read any of the Chinese metals analysis, it tends to open with fears about the US and Europe, most notably the impact of the debt ceiling in the former and weakening order books in the latter. Everyone is worried about the other side, if you want. Everyone was worried that they're weak, and the end result is this bearish spiral of panic. Now, let's bring it back to fundamentals. Given the flash manufacturing PMIs for the US, uh, 48.5 in May, and the euro area, 44.6, were so low, it does point to the developed world being the main concern in our view. In fact, talking flash PMIs, 42.9 in German manufacturing sector, that's back at pandemic lows, and there has been a collapse in new orders and business conference turn negative for the first time in five months. Uh, we're seeing European capacity being taken offline again in the steel industry. So I'm certainly not making the argument industrial metals prices shouldn't be falling. There is no competition for units at present. But I do feel with short positions in financial markets getting extended, everything's getting a little too bearish now relative to underlying fundamentals. And that's the polar opposite of the price for perfection period we saw during Q1. Talking of demand fears being overblown relative to current conditions, and of course being cognizant of the lack of visibility into the second half, I would highlight that some of those commodities that are purely a physical market without financial market overlay continue to trade higher in China. I mentioned it in the last Metal Matters, but chrome ore prices continue to rise. Latest assessments of UG2 material at $305 a tonne, very good price. And molybdenum prices have rebounded from the lows seen in April. Various scrap prices are rising in Asia. Several minor metals are up month to month. SMM has reported that Class 1 nickel consumption in China's alloy sector rose 7.3% on a month-on-month basis in April and is expected to rise further in May. I'll say it again, the Chinese market may not be great, but it isn't bad. We do, however, remain cautious on iron ore and manganese ore, given we do still see a need for Chinese steel output to be sequentially cut into mid-year. When prices drop as they have, we always start to receive questions on where we are trading relative to cost curves and what this might mean for producer profitability. To keep it simple, the majority of metals under our coverage are still trading at levels where the vast majority of producers are yielding reasonable margins by historical standards at least. It's not like metals and bulk commodity prices are bad. 
We expect pressure on labour costs to continue rising, flows for equipment to remain resilient, but those costs more related to oil prices should now be in decline, and that should give producers a little more breathing room, all other things being equal. Also, low inventory levels, they make this cycle different by classical commodity economics, even in a weak demand period, supply should not need to be cut until inventory has been adequately replenished. With inventory cover low across most industrial commodities, basically we shouldn't need to trade into cost curves yet. Despite the price normalisation we've seen year-to-date, coal, both met and thermal, uh, is the commodity trading furthest above the 90th percentile at the current time. Um, while with gold close to $2,000 an ounce, most producers are making good margins. Just as an aside here, I was asked the other day what would happen if the gold price went to $5,000 an ounce tomorrow. And my answer was, well, costs would go to $4,995 an ounce. But that's perhaps a little unfair. On the flip side, um, at today's LME price, aluminium trading well into the cost curve, but still high premiums and, and higher Shanghai Futures Exchange pricing mean the profitability situation maybe isn't as bad as it seems. LME nickel, though, that is trading above the cost curve, but NPI prices are much lower, so the actual industry profitability is worse. And in terms of zinc, it's now flooding with the cost curve, despite the low inventories we see. I mentioned iron ore and manganese ore before. Well, they are now trading at levels that will push marginal supply offline. Uh, just one more point on costs, on the RMB impact. Well, given the RMB has now depreciated to above 7 to the USD for the first time since late 2022, We've got Chinese purchasers, typically the marginal buyers of commodities in global markets. So a weaker RMB leaves them less US dollar purchasing power. And for many markets, Chinese producers are at the top end of the cost curve. And of course, their costs will also now be lower in US dollar terms. So depreciating RMB does bring down that marginal cost support in many of these metals and bulk commodity markets. Now, I'd like to take some of the points discussed previously and put the all-important copper market in this context. What a flip we've had in copper sentiment. It's gone from the doyen to the drama queen of metals markets in very short order, with prices falling below $8,000 per tonne. Oh, shock. Just to point out, if you'd offered copper producers $8,000 a tonne 34 years ago, they would have bitten your hand off. But what do we have in this market with low prevailing inventory? The price in the deer is set not by costs, but by Chinese purchasers, either strategic buyers or standard end users. And to the point we've made before, underlying demand in China isn't bad. The average operating rate of key copper cathode rod producers jumped 4% week on week last week to 80%. That's the highest we've seen in a while. Wiring cable manufacturers have stable orders, improvement from the automotive, energy storage and wind power sectors, but albeit with real estate and civil engineering a bit weaker. Keep an eye now on the cathode premium. It's very important in this scenario. We've started to see it edge up marginally, but we see this push to $50 to $60 per tonne above LME cash. It does suggest opportunistic Chinese buying might be getting just that bit more aggressive. What level might we see this at in terms of price? Well, based on the precedent from late last year, we expect to make a cut up around $3.50 a pound, $7,700 a tonne, and that's markedly higher than in previous cycles. Just a couple more points in copper at these levels. Firstly, we may be getting near the point where copper miners themselves take strategic decisions to leave material in the ground if prices don't generate the required return for extraction, even if nominally they're profitable. This is one way the mining industry has changed in recent times. And in addition, with the copper forward curve in reasonable Katango and 
de minimis LME cancelled warrants, we may see some opportunistic financing deals, particularly if you can do so in regions less exposed to rising interest rates. I'd highlight Japan and Korea. In the last Metal Matters, I promised you some feedback from the conferences held in London and Mid-Bay, so here goes. We'll start with London Platinum Week, which saw the usual market presentations from industry consultants, associations and companies involved in the PGM market. Uh, with the exception of Johnson Matthews' expectation of a modest rhodium surplus this year, all forecasts presented pointed deficits across platinum, palladium, rhodium in 2023. Indeed, Metal's focus forecasts a record platinum deficit this year, helped by the strongest industrial demand on record and some supply challenges. And these supply challenges were certainly to the fore in discussions, particular ongoing power supply issues in South Africa were highlighted as the greatest risk to forecast this year. The hygiene economy was to the fore, though perhaps a little less dominant in discussions than in the past few years, while those discussions on palladium substitution have morphed somewhat into discussions on thrifting. One area where there was a little bit of disagreement was Iridium, a relatively small PGM market where industry consultants have previously stated its inelastic supply could act as a bottleneck on proton exchange membrane electrolyzer growth needed for the scale-up of green hydrogen production. Catalyst manufacturers, though, they were pretty confident that a combination of thrifting and recycling will be sufficient to ensure there is adequate iridium to satiate demand. Moving on to conference number two, the World Aluminium Conference. Now, I do like the aluminium market, but sometimes its conferences are like stepping back 20 years in time. A clash with LME Asia didn't help here, but there was a noticeable lack of East Asian participants there. And in the discussions on aluminium versus competing materials, it was all about replacing steel and body panels. Um, I did a couple of summers at university working in a research lab of an aluminium company, working on replacing steel and body panels. And sadly, that wasn't yesterday. I think the aluminium market underplays its potential role in the energy transition relative to others. And coming back to 2023, there was a view that with demand weakness, aluminium premiums will likely trend lower into the third quarter. Well, on the supply side, any potential recovery in Yunnan province output following the recent hydropower problems remains a key point of discussion. We model Yunnan as impacted all year, but we do have some gains at other Chinese smelters as a partial offset. In terms of key learning points, now, number one, developed world consumers are trying to engineer out use of magnesium-heavy 5000 series aluminium alloys, partly on the higher carbon footprint, but mainly on the over-reliance on China for magnesium supply. And number two, there's more to come from the Ghanaian bauxite boom. There's another 45 million tonnes of capacity committed over and above the 145 million tonnes per annum currently in place. If anything, it could be argued that China is now over-reliant on Ghanaian bauxite for Beijing's liking, despite the clear economic and geopolitical wins thus far from this overseas investment. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. I'm now off to prepare for the Ride London 100 cycle this weekend. Very pleased to be doing 100 miles in aid of Centrepoint, a charity based here in London, doing great work on youth homelessness. And please join me again in a couple of weeks to discuss more pertinent issues in these ever-changing global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts, and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. 
If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.